You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program. We put positivity out into the world, that we speak about positive people, we create positive messages, we highlight the things, the good things that are out there. And I think the more we do that, the more hopefully it feeds itself and it becomes mm-hmm. this, this feedback loop and this like sort of nourishing ecosystem where we just keep being, you know, we keep showing what we like to see and what we like to read. And, and what we like to read is stories about people who are making a difference, people who are changing the world. And I hope that our readers feel the same way. And I think they do. These write-ups have to be, by necessity, quite short, just to barely whet the appetite. And so it's so great that the radio show and the stories that we follow up on give a little bit more. Um, So I'm really thrilled that we are able to talk to people like Greg Powell and kind of give a little more information than we can in that short write-up in the 50 people. The important part, though, is that what we are doing is really enabling the best of people to do more and Mr. Alphonse's view of teamwork and getting people to work together. Sometimes it seems like a rarity in today's society to have people actually all agreeing on something and all working on something together. But it does happen. It happens every day in Maine, and it's a real honor to be part of it. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Show number 147, Inspiring Maine People, airing for the first time on Sunday, July 6, 2014. Maine is home to many inspiring people, artists, attorneys, philanthropists, and countless others from diverse fields who are doing great things for our state. Today we speak with Katie Kelleher and Susan Grisanti of Maine Magazine, who describe the history of our 50 people list in the July issue, and how the individuals who make up this list came to be chosen. We are also joined by Greg Powell, chairman of the Harold Alphon Foundation and one of Maine Magazine's 50 people who is making a difference by championing health, education, and youth development across the Pine Tree State through programs such as the Alphon Challenge. Join our conversations and find inspiration for your life. Thank you for joining us. Today it is my great fortune to have in the studio two individuals that I work really rather closely with, um, both of whom I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, we have Susan Grisanti, who is the editor-in-chief of Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, and Old Port Magazine, and also Katie Kelleher, the managing editor of Maine Magazine, to talk to us today about their 50 people list, which is in the July edition of Maine Magazine. Thanks so much for coming in and being part of the show. Thank Thank you you for for having us. Yeah, thanks, Lisa, and for your nice words. Well, Susan, you've been on the show before. You're a bit of a veteran here. Oh, yes. Um, Katie, you have not, because you've been the managing editor since, what, January? Yeah, yeah. So I've listened to a lot of the shows, but I haven't had a chance to actually be on the show. So this is very exciting. Yeah, and you actually used to work as um, our online person for the show, and you've, you've been a big part of all of this. And I love the overlap between the show and the 50 people list and, you know, Maine Magazine in general, because we're able to just look at things from slightly different angles. So let's talk about 50 people. Susan, why did you think that 50 people, I guess it was four years in Mm -hmm. with Maine Magazine, and you decided you wanted a list about Maine's influential and inspiring people? Yeah. You really just inspired a part of my answer with what you were saying before. I think we're in the... We're in the business of revealing and introducing people to information. Um, And I think that there are so many remarkable people here that uh, just like we always use the line about Maine Home and Design, there are these houses down these 
crooked uh, dirt roads, and I really would liken the 50 people to that as well. There are people doing really remarkable things. We know this, and yet we're still even surprised. Uh, I sat down to really review the list and work on um, the piece, and it slayed me even as um, the, the written word and the real facts of what they've done. So. Uh, one thing I will say is this is our second year doing it, and again, I'm going to say there's just no shortage of people. It's not like it's the next 50 people. It's just I feel like it's really an unending pool that we're going to continue to be introduced to and being able to introduce those folks to our readers. This is a very different list from a best of list. It's not a reader's vote. It's not a we think you're the best at what you do. It's just here are 50 people doing really great things within the state. What types of people have you been talking to, Katie, and how did you um, decide who was going to be on this list? Well, the decision process took took a while, actually. I mean, it's something that we put a lot of thought into. Um, we What we did for that is, we first of all, we know a lot of people. We know a lot of people who are doing this great work. But we know that there are people beyond us. There are people down these crooked roads. There are people that we haven't quite, like, dug up yet or found yet. So what we did is we went to some of the people that we respect and that we think are doing fantastic work out there and um, we sat down with them and we had and we just had these really great conversations and it started with one idea and that fed into another idea and it ends up being like a like a game of verbal ping pong where you just keep going back and forth and just you know each name you get you get another three names and then from there we had to you know whittle it down and you know craft the list and try to make sense of it in a way that it would flow well together, that it would have enough people who were lawyers, enough people who were in the medical field, enough people who were doing something artistic. So it didn't feel like it was heavy in one subject, and it felt like it really represented the whole of what people are doing in our state. Susan, what inspired you and Kevin Thomas, the publisher of the magazines, what inspired you to have this list? You know, What was the aha, we have to do this kind of moment? I think that um, I would say we really want to know what makes Maine, Maine. And I think when you uh, look at us kind of examining place and examining, um, because we have, you know, recreation, we have location stories, we have our profiles, uh, there's just not enough time to really cover all of these people when we when you think of us having 12 issues a year 12 profiles maybe even if we do two profiles that gives us 24 uh, to be able to go to 50 in one issue and kind of touch on the holistic look of people who are making things happen here it gives us just a totally different perspective and you did draw upon people from various fields. So you did have artists and politicians and attorneys. and Well, maybe not politicians. Maybe you had past former politicians. That's right. We made the decision not to have politicians on the list in office because um, it just would fill the list, basically. And we really feel like it's a politician's job to be doing this. This is to recognize people kind of going above and beyond that have really made a difference in our state, that have kind of um, the generosity, the brain power. Uh, the things that are happening. Um, we really tried to think about people doing this for different reasons than politics. But we did have the retired Olympia Snow this year, which is an amazing story. Um, and I happened to have a really um, wonderful conversation at the festival with Anne Raffaelli, who's a former lo- lobbyist in DC. And she um, just really explained to me from the Washington perspective, um, she said, Susan, it is not one of these, the sky's falling panic attacks about partisanship. She said partisanship is to a place now where it's really difficult to get anything done. And Olympia has removed herself from that and is kind of coming around it from another angle and really doing work to try and um, diffuse that partisanship and really working at ways to kind of mend the system from the way that she can. And um, that was why she made the list this year, along with a lot of other work empowering young women in the state. Um, I could go on and on about Olympia Snow uh, (laughs) herself. She's really a remarkable woman. I think also, like just to build on what Susan was saying, that um, we the list is 50 people. We, we could just as easily call it, you know, a thousand projects because every single person you read about is working on all of these different amazing projects. They're on different boards. They're working with different charities. They're, you know, they're working to build ski trails for high schools. They're 
all over the state these things are happening. So as we discover their stories, as we go into each person, we also discover you know, a, a million things we never knew about mm. that are happening in the state. So it gives not only a look at the people who are doing things, but just what is going on. Like, what is this huge overarching picture of Maine as a vibrant place that is is building itself up and that people are working in a dedicated way to create new and interesting ideas and innovations in, in every field from medical to artistic. Well, give me some of your favorites. It's so hard. Okay, it's hard to pick a favorite. I'm sure you know it's, and and I would hate to pick a favorite and have someone else I forget someone. But um, I had some really great conversations. One of one a good example of that. What I was just talking about, um, sort of building on, on building is um, I, when I was speaking with Jamie Wyeth. I expected to sit down and talk to him about art, and I expected that to be about his art and his artistic output because that's what we know Jamie Wyeth that for, but. The conversation ended up going in so many different directions. I ended up learning about his work with um, the islands, trying to keep the housing at a, at a lower cost so that people, lobstermen, could continue to live on those islands and they could continue, can, Maine's islands can continue to be working islands. Um, I learned about the Herring Gut Learning Center, which his wife Phyllis founded, which is a learning center for children, and how um, Monaghan Island was originally named Herring Gut Island but apparently that wasn't very pretty, so they changed it. <laughs> so he was amazing. Um, Andy Shepard was amazing. Um, Bill Ryan was amazing. Doug Welsh he had an amazing line about um, the islands off the main coast being like a Milky Way, a little tiny constellation of jewel-like islands. And I thought that was just beautiful. So, And it does end up being somewhat like a tapestry, the all of the different people and their photos and the quotes, because you went beyond just... Um, talking to the individuals themselves, you asked other people about those individuals so that they weren't put in the place of, oh, I need to make myself sound good. Susan, how did you decide that that was the process that you were going to use? We knew, well, as Katie described, um, the way that we find even stories is a lot of our 50 people kind of remain in our family and become sources for us. Uh, remarkable people tend to know more remarkable people, and um, and we really become a community. And I knew from the anecdotes that I was hearing from people, I wanted those words um, to give that perspective um, about the others that were, were named, and that was part of that process. As we've worked on the radio show, and I know that both of you work on the radio show with me, so we're all part of this team that, that does this, along with Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, Oldport. We're all kind of working together in this. What I've been interested by is that you can talk to a business person who knows a doctor, who knows an artist, who knows a lawyer, who knows a, knows a welder, and there's not there doesn't seem to be any sort of hierarchical thing going on. Everybody is very respectful of other people's talents and their educational background. And I think that's unique to Maine and to places like Maine. I definitely agree. I grew up in Los Angeles and I cannot say that that would be the case, but it is absolutely true what you've said, Lisa. I had the absolute same impression of this feeling like it wasn't these are the 50 people and our readers are separate from that. It really became about the connection of community. Um, the sheer size of Maine alone, um, the number of people that we have here probably has something to do with that, but I think it goes well beyond that. I think that there's something when Katie was talking about building ski trails for high schools. Um, what what the listener may not understand is this is a man really just doing this on his own. This isn't someone who works in that capacity. He's donating his land. He's wanting kids in his community to be able to ski without having to get on a bus um, up in Pres is it Presque Isle or mm -hmm. Fort Kent? Um, that area. And so it's just it, th these stories um, from the very well-known, uh, like Stephen King, uh, who also is incredibly generous and does amazing things in our state. Um, Greg Powell, who I knew you on, on this show, literally has given out hundreds of millions of dollars in grants for people who, children and people who live in the state, um, down to, like I said, this kind of citizen who takes it upon himself to really reach out to his community. When I first moved to Maine two years ago, um, I remember someone saying to me that um, this is one of the most self-educated states that he's ever been in. And I have found that to be true just mm -hmm. over and over. There's, I, I think there's such a deep intellectual curiosity across every 
border. You know, it, it's, it doesn't matter what the, their job is or what their official title is. I, I meet people constantly who are trying to, I wouldn't even say trying to improve themselves, who are just like have that natural sense of wanting to know more and wanting to build more and wanting to nourish their mind. Um, and I think that really does create a kind of respect that exists between professions and between people, which is really lovely to see. I've also enjoyed seeing how enthusiastic everybody is about doing the 48 hours pieces and about being part of the Kennebunkport Festival and all of the various nonprofit um, festivities that Maine Magazine and Maine Home Design support. The people that you're finding for the for the 50 people list, um, oftentimes they they start with a story that was told in the general store in Jackman. You, know? you were having the same vision when she was saying that that I was. I was thinking about 48 hours and how in each of these towns you go to the coffee shop or the gas station and you see these group of locals discussing current events and what's going on. And um, I, I've seen that time and again where there's a real discourse uh, among the communities across the state. And I had the exact same vision. That's really funny that you say that. Well, and I think that that's part of what makes it great to work in this organization is that it really what we're trying to do is kind of create a network that goes beyond the walls of the office. And it's really important to us because we really all love this state and we love the people that are in the state. And that is, is quite reflected in the 50 people list. So I'm sure that we've whetted the appetites of the people who are listening, and this is going to be in the July issue of Maine Magazine. And in fact, all of last year's 50 people are online, or you can look at a back issue to find those people. And we've also been making every effort to bring the 50 people into the studio and actually have conversations with them. So I encourage people to spend some time looking at this list and thinking about who in their own communities really represents a 50 people person and maybe reach out to one of you. Absolutely. Yeah, we love that. (laughs) Any final thoughts? I I, a thought that I had uh, was these write-ups have to be by necessity, quite short, just to barely whet the appetite. And so it's so great that the radio show and the stories that we follow up on give a little bit more. Um, So I'm really thrilled that we are able to talk to people like Greg Powell and kind of give a little more information than we can in that short write-up in the 50 people. Well, and I know that Katie has worked really hard bringing this 50 people list together, and part of what she's needed to do is to pare down from these very... (laughs) So frustrating. (laughs) But you do, it is, uh, every time you've come off of a conversation, I love the energy. I love what you come, You like, there's this person, and I talk to him, and I talk to this other person, and so I can't help but believe people who are reading the pieces that you've written will come away with that same idea, and then be, hopefully... um, feel like they're inspired to learn more about them anyway. I hope so. I think I think one of the central sort of tenets to what we do here is that we put positivity out into the world, that we, you know, we speak about positive people, we create positive messages, we highlight the things, the good things that are out there. And I think the more we do that, the more hopefully it feeds itself and it becomes mm-hmm. this this feedback loop and this like sort of nourishing ecosystem where we just keep being, you know, we keep showing what we like to see and what we like to read. And, and what we like to read is stories about people who are making a difference, people who are changing the world. And I hope that our readers feel the same way. And I think they do. I think they do, too. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. And my, so do your listeners. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that is true. Yes, I believe that it's true. And and I would re- be remiss if I didn't mention that my sister, Dr. Amy Belial, made it on the 50 people list. And it had nothing to do with me. That's I just right. want anybody who's listening. I love Amy. I have so much respect for what she does. And um, I did not nominate her. And I was not the reason that she made it onto the list. But just the fact that she's doing work with um, immunization and children in the state of Maine and making this and having that be an important contribution. Um, it, it was very, very touching to me and to my family, I know, as well, to know that this was something that was recognized as being Oh, important. absolutely. Amy's accomplishments speak for themselves. She came to us from a whole different route, so that is a very cool connection. 
Well, I am fortunate to work with the two of you on a regular basis. I know that you spend a lot of time working on the pieces that I write for Maine Magazine and also the pieces that all of our other writers contribute to Maine Magazine. You do a great job. We've been speaking with Susan Grisanti, who is the editor-in-chief with Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, Old Port, also um, the principal of Art Collector Maine, brand company, Kenny Bungport <laughs> Festival. We could just keep going on with all I of these. I think you covered it, actually. Okay, then. all right. Any other thing that probably hasn't happened yet, but probably will at some point in the future. And also um, with my good friend and colleague Katie Kelleher, managing editor with Maine Magazine. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having us. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Sometimes I meet with married or partnered clients, and when we get to talking about their financial lives, a cultural divide bubbles to the surface. One person feels one way about their money, and the other seems to be on their own financial island with a set of beliefs and rules that have created unnecessary borders and boundaries. It's not an uncommon thing, and when I hit those situations, I do my best to help both people understand that neither is 100% right or wrong, that they simply have to take a step back and look at their own financial life in a new light. It is also true in politics and economics. What we need to do is see money as a living thing that can be used to grow our lives together without disagreement or so-called border issues. It's a great feeling for me it's like I'm helping people negotiate peace treaties with their money. Be in touch if you want to know more. Tom at Shepherd Financial Maine will help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. We're often fortunate in the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to have people's names on our list of who we want to get in and then somehow happen across them in real life. And our next guest, Greg Powell, is just such an individual. I happened to see him out and about, and I said, we really need to get this guy on the radio show because he's doing great things for the state of Maine. And he happens to be in Maine's uh, 50 people list for Maine Magazine, which is coming out in July. Greg Powell is the chairman of the Harold Alphon Foundation, a private foundation organized to fund charitable causes in the state of Maine. He is also the CEO and president of Dexter Enterprises. Greg worked with Harold Alphon for over 13 years to build Dexter Enterprises, the family wealth management firm. He took the reins of the Harold Alphon Foundation in 2007 after Mr. Alphon passed away. So thanks so much for coming in, and um, you were pretty great about we we see you in a restaurant. We say you need to be, come on the show, and you almost immediately said yes. And when can I come in? And and that that means a lot to us. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. I love your magazine, and I love what you do. Well, we love what you do. You've been um, working with the Harold Alphon Foundation for quite a while, and there you can't. I cannot turn around without seeing um, the Alphon name in some really great places, really important places, places that, you know, our, our college students are utilizing, our community members are utilizing. Um, you didn't start out with such a high and mighty background and job title. You grew up in Waterville. I grew up in Waterville, uh, but the neat thing about Waterville was a, was a wonderful community, and um, Harold Alphon and his family also were residents of Waterville, so I've had the uh, privilege and pleasure of knowing uh, the family for a long, long time. Well, and I, and I'm not trying to disparage Waterville in any way whatsoever. When I say you didn't, you know, start out in a uh, where you are now, um, having worked around the Waterville area before, I've noticed that it's a very close knit community. I've noticed that you know the people seem to 
families seem to go back many generations and really enjoy living in that area. Um, yeah, I think that's true. Um, the town, however, like so many Maine towns, has suffered as there's been a decline in manufacturing in the state of Maine as well as nationally. So one of the things that we are very interested in doing is uh, promoting Waterville and uh, allowing it to grow from an economic uh, standpoint and others. So we feel a, a real affinity to the town and like it quite a bit. I spent some time last summer working as a family doctor up near um, Sangerville, Newport, Dexter, um, and all the way up in the, into the Lakes region. And what I noticed was there there really was a significant issue with employment, that um, people who used to have manufacturing jobs that were based in some of those areas no longer had those jobs and sometimes didn't have any jobs at all. So that really does contribute negatively to the good fortune of a family. Well, it, it, it's a concern all over the state, and there are multiple towns that used to uh, rely for their livelihood on major manufacturing businesses, and as those have um, receded, then the economic fortunes of those towns have suffered. So it's a problem that the state has to address uh, overall. It's not just Waterville. And uh, obviously, uh, since this is kind of a show about health, uh, having a strong economic uh, backbone of uh, towns and cities is pretty important to the state, something our foundation is very interested in and Mr. Alphon was interested in as well. Education must have been an important thing in your family. It was very important. Uh, both my parents were graduates of uh, colleges and they encouraged uh, me and my sisters to attend school and so we all did that. Uh, today I, I see it as an incredibly important area to focus on for uh, public health and well-being. The idea that education is important just to growth of the soul has certainly always been something I've believed in, but as importantly, if not more importantly, education is critical to putting food on the table and having income and stability and, and family life. And in today's competitive world, having higher education, access to higher education is more important than ever. It used to be a luxury, now it's a necessity. So again, back to the business of the foundation, we feel very strongly that you know, education is an important part of every community and we try to promote it where we can. The Alphon Foundation has also been very, I'll use the word ecumenical, in the way that they have um, made funds available to the state university system, to private um, colleges within the state, um, and, it, and also at not just the collegiate level. It, so it seems to be that you're in favor of education in general. Yes, we are. And I think for many, many years, Mr. Alphonse's personal philanthropy and interest was in athletics. So he often made grants to provide colleges and universities with first-class athletic facilities, knowing that physical activity was very important to health and education and to being you know, well. Um, today, we not only continue to fund athletic facilities, but we also uh, fund many other aspects of education, higher education, everything from classroom buildings to uh, programs uh, to scholarships and whatnot. You also make $500 available to every single baby born in the state of Maine. Right. That's, uh, I think it's the foundation's signature program, one we are uh, quite proud of and one we hope holds great promise for the state of Maine. We look at education and aspirations of parents as being critical to growth, not only of individuals, but to the state's economy as a whole. We see a relationship between the quality of education given and received, the uh, extent of education, meaning higher education, being linked to providing high-quality workforce uh, that, in turn, leads to better business opportunity and economic growth. So our College Challenge program is designed really to serve the better economic interests of the state uh, and really has three key parts. One is just to get the $500 started and growing for every baby born in the state. Uh, the second 
is to communicate with parents at a very early age about things they can do to keep their child on track toward a good future and ultimately toward higher education. And then third, to encourage them to save what they can toward their child's future. There have been a bunch of interesting studies done since we launched the program, because uh, we didn't know about these studies when we, we started up, that show that the mere presence of a college savings account in even low-income families changes the way the families feel about their child's future. In other words, it gives them optimism, hope, aspirations that are higher than uh, families that don't have this uh, piece of the rock, if you will. So um, we're trying to make sure that every baby born in the state uh, has high aspirations and that their family does for their future by you know this, this, this grant program. When you make the $500 available to families, you're not saying we expect that your child will go to a specific university. You're just supporting their education in general. We are, and that's a very important point. We're also not saying that higher education has to mean Colby, Bates, Bowdoin, or Harvard. Higher education in the future is going to change dramatically in form, and relatively modest amounts of money will be able to get students access to what I'll call competency-based higher education at a fairly affordable rate through the internet and otherwise. And our program is designed to allow families to use that $500 from everything from a welding certificate to a Harvard education. So it's very broad-based. It's simply to encourage people to improve themselves and to develop a skill and knowledge that will help them live a better life, have a better job, et cetera. I really like hearing that because I think that for some families, um, I mean, I, I grew up in Yarmouth, so obviously the, there are many families in Yarmouth who just assume that college is the next step. But college isn't the next step. And for some people, it's even if you're going to a college, it may be a different sort of college. You may be going to a trade school. You may have very different aspirations than, than your classmates. So to just be encouraged to just go... Uh, with, with with what you feel passionate about, you know, I Absolutely. think that's important. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think in some ways the the term college is inartful because it's not broad enough to describe what we're trying to do. Basically, we are saying that in uh, a world connected, uh, hyper competitive economy, America's leadership role in the world will depend upon our ability to have an educated workforce. Right now well over 60% of Americans do not have the benefit of any higher education. And yet, well over 60% of the jobs of the future all will require higher education in one form or another. So we see planting planting the seed for higher education at a very early age to be critical to developing the mindset and aspiration of every citizen to be better, to be good, to have skills that make them valuable to the economy and proud of themselves and able to be successful in life. And starting as early as possible is absolutely critical because you know, you just can't at the age of 17 suddenly decide, okay, I think I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. You have to be thinking about it and your parents have to be thinking about it to do it well. So. And there are some families for whom work has always been the most important thing, and it's still a very legitimate thing after high school. But if you have the availability of funds, then there at least is there's an opening there so that you can send a child on if you want to. Well, work and having a good job, Mr. Alphon used to say, is first because you have to have uh, – enough to survive and to, you know, have a a decent life. And after that, uh, a lot of other things, you know, are easier to do. So uh, to the extent education helps people find good work and good jobs that are are paying jobs, uh, we are all for it. And there have been many studies that have shown a positive association between education levels and health. So within the medical field, we, it's always um, good for us to know that there are people out there promoting education because we know that it's going to kind of loop back around and enable people to be healthier longer in their lives. Absolutely. So, I mean, those, there, there are connections everywhere on that front. There really are. Some of the athletic facilities that the Alphon Foundation has um, funded, they've become 
used by people who are members of the community in addition to the students who are going to school in these places. That's always been uh, a key feature for uh, the Alfon family giving, and Mr. Alfon started it back in the 1950s when he made a grant to Colby College to build uh, its ice arena, which still stands today. The idea was, you know, when the students weren't using it, the community should be. Uh, we didn't want assets, and he didn't want assets uh, not being used fully by people in the community. So, and educational institutions are usually better uh, when they are closely related, supported uh, by the communities in which they reside. So having athletic facilities available for the community is a big deal and we support it. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When asked, most of my clients say the same thing about what keeps them up at night. Money. Making certain cash flow is there to meet day-to-day -day operational needs. Oh my gosh, is payroll going to be able to make it? When we dig deeper, we understand that those sleepless nights are symptoms of poor planning and forecasting. And more often than not, the reasons for not doing it are a lack of time and a lack of resources. So here's a suggestion. Instead of living in fear of the numbers and losing sleep over them, make peace with them by paying closer attention to the financials and creating positive cash flow. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Well, it's a kind of an interesting larger metaphor. I mean, this is the Alfon Foundation came out of the Dexter Shoe Company, and the Dexter Shoe Company made something that was very practical, something to put on your feet so you could hit the ground and go out there and move about in the world. And now he's, the foundation is doing things that carry on his legacy, enable people to do things that are very foundational, very fundamental. Yeah, I think that's uh, nice of you to say that. Uh, I think the sports metaphor uh, goes beyond that uh, to say that in order to win, uh, you have to have teamwork. And bringing uh, people together uh, to move in the same direction toward a common goal, especially in a state that has limited resources, which we have to frankly admit and candidly say we have, okay? The way you get something really good is by bringing people together. So a uh, key part of Mr. Alphonse giving and the foundation's giving today has always been to forge partnerships, collaborations, teamwork amongst differing parts of uh, small communities and the state as a whole. So uh, that's, that's what we try to do, and we feel that by doing that, we can build something that is far better than if each constituency is sort of out doing its own thing. An article um, that I just wrote about Bill Karen of Maine Health is coming out in the same July issue that you are in as a 50, as a member of the 50 people list. Um, and he and he said the same thing, that, you know, we're in this really interesting place right now with healthcare, that there are only so many resources. We have a lot of people out there who are aging, and um, you need to be more practical about the way that you're doing this, and it, it, and it requires collaboration. Um, the collaboration, I think, has been it's been very challenging in within the healthcare field. So to be able to create a new hospital that is state of the art for that um, part of the Maine is well. I think, I think it's uh, fair to look at a problem and say, what are <clears throat> what are our choices here? And it's not good enough, and it's not acceptable to say we're simply going to cut back on what we are doing. We're going to have less uh, for less. I think what people want to do is they want to see a vision of something that's better and bigger and will serve them better 
in the future. And, and, when you, and when you have that vision together with some sacrifice and change, it makes uh, the effort more palatable. And I think it can actually engage and uh, energize a community in a positive way. So you need to have the vision that you're going to be building something bigger and better for everyone, coupled with austerity measures and efficiencies and collaborations. That's the way the world needs to be moving because you know we don't have uh, endless supplies of money and we're actually coming out of a very difficult financial time. And there's still a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of young people who don't have jobs. There's still a lot of debt. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do. But I think it helps in doing that work to have a vision that at the end of your hard labor, you're going to have something bigger and better than you had when you started out. And having good educational facilities and having good hospitals and healthcare facilities is really critical to bring, in addition to having good jobs, it's really critical to bringing our young people back to the state of Maine or keeping them in the state of Maine to live and work. I mean, this is what people are looking for is they, they need a place to, they need a place to live. They need a place to educate their kids. They need a place to get good health care. I mean, so having all of these things in place is really the only way that we're actually going to get people back here or keep them here. Right. Well, I think that's a very interesting uh, observation. And people say, well, what is the problem? Is the problem that we don't have jobs or is the problem that we don't have as educated a workforce as we have? I'm not sure which one it is, but I, I can tell you that having a better educated workforce and a better quality of life uh, is attractive to people and makes them want to be here and stay here. And we will be working in the future on ways to try to encourage you know, more young people to stay in Maine, help support those of us who are getting older. <laughs> Well, that's important. And I can tell you, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in people that you have um, worked with, but I can tell you that I'm very happy to meet the generation coming along behind me because they seem genuinely enthusiastic and uh, really um, adaptive and flexible. And they have the same sense that most of us who live in Maine have, which is that you may come in with one job, but you're more than likely going to have a different job by the time you've leave this planet. Um, and in fact, many of us have many jobs all at the same time. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah, I, I think uh, the mobility in the workforce is greater than ever. Uh, the, the model has changed. When our parents were growing up, it would be often the case that you'd you know, go to work for Scott Paper Company, and that would be your career. I think today, uh, moving from one kind of uh, work opportunity to the other will be more common. I've heard and read many things about this, uh, including projections that you'll change jobs as many as 15 or 30 times. So, And that would make sense in a, a, an economy that is built around a worldwide access through the internet, the ability to start new companies and new ventures with less capital because the uh, computer power of uh, the, the, uh, of the cloud now is available to entrepreneurs of all sorts. I mean, they, just there's going to be a lot of opportunities to uh, contribute to the economy. It's just it's different. And when things change, they can be difficult, and it can be painful at times. So we're going through one of those periods. Well, and I, it sounds as though you've you've been through this as an individual. You didn't start out thinking you were going to be the CEO of the Alphon Foundation. I mean, many moons ago, you, when you were going through law school, I suspect you weren't thinking, oh, my ultimate job is going to be working with Alphon. Yeah, you're so right. I had uh, no clue. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed very much uh, debate and public speaking when I was in school. And so I always thought that a trial lawyer would be the right place for me. So that's where I started out. Uh, but as I've said publicly recently in another format, um, you can't connect the dots looking forward. Uh, you can only connect them looking backwards. And so it was on a golf cart in 1995 with Mr. Alphon that uh, he asked me if I would be interested in setting up a wealth management firm and helping him with his philanthropy. It just uh, changed my dots. <laughs> and did you, at the time, feel intimidated in any way, or did you feel like you were fully capable of moving forward? Well, I think 
you know, whenever you make a dramatic career change, there is a sense that uh, there's challenge and there are things you don't know. There's risk. Will I be able to be up for the challenge? But I felt that it was a very interesting opportunity, and he was pretty clear with me. He thought that uh, a litigator's background and uh, attributes was perfect for the job he had in mind. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever quite understood that fully, but that was his view, and it didn't bother him, and so uh, we went for it. And you have children of your own now who are, I believe one of them is at school in, at Colby. That's right. I have my younger daughters at Colby, and I have an older daughter who's just graduated from college. So I'm just about to get relief from college debt payments. <laughs> well, congratulations on yeah. that. I'm still sort of in the middle of it myself. But how has your work with the Alphon Foundation and your work in the areas of philanthropy and education and healthcare, how has this shaped the words of wisdom that you've had for your own daughters? Well, I think I've always tried to be a good dad and giving them advice about what I'm seeing in the world. So whether I was practicing law or working where I am right now, uh, my morals and my messages, I think, have been the same. The difference has been that they've watched what I'm doing, and I think they probably find that having the privilege and the opportunity to shape grants that will benefit Maine in significant ways is uh, something they find maybe a little more inspiring than if I were to win a case in a trial somewhere. <laughs> so that's changed a little bit. So that what And having them watch what I do and see uh, how it it's done, and uh, seeing me work with uh, the wonderful board of trustees that I have with, you know, and for us to get together as a group and do the things that we do, I think that's been a good example more than anything. But my messages have tended to be the same. And you've also provided an example as one who, um, as a young adult, made the choice to live and raise your children in Maine. Yes, I often say that that was my best decision and my worst, um, the same. Because making a lifestyle choice to be in Maine probably means that you are accepting a little less on the economic ladder of success, but you've traded in for that a quality of life, which means you know uh, a half an hour commute instead of an hour and a half. Um, you've traded in. Uh, lots of travel and money and whatnot for being able to take a short drive and be on a uh, a state park beach, or be in a town like Portland, as wonderful it is with all the restaurants, and not have to put up with the traffic and the hassle. So um, everybody has to sort of face that. Where do they want to be? And there are certain things that you get, and certain things that you give up. And do you feel unbalanced that you are in the right place, doing the right thing? I do. I'm. I, I as I said uh, earlier, I feel privileged and honored to have the uh, the job that I have. It gives me great sense of satisfaction to try to help Maine be a better place. I only wish I could do more. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.therooms.portland.com.
What's next for the Alphon Foundation? You you give out, you've budgeted $35 million in 2014? That's right. Um, so we have a huge responsibility to uh, spend that money responsibly and in a way that I like to think of as investing money. I think about it, what is my return on investment? What are what a, what do I and my board of trustees and the and the Alphon family who uh, care deeply about how um, Mr. Alphon's money is spent? We want to see a high return on our investments. So we are looking at opportunities to improve uh, the economy of Central Maine because we have a special sweet spot there. Uh, that's where Mr. Alphon raised his family. That's where I'm from. We also recognize that Central Maine is a place that maybe doesn't have as much commercial activity, needs a little more help, but we're also interested in the state as a whole. And so things that we can do to improve the uh, education of Maine people, that can improve uh, their health care, uh, that can improve the economy, are all things that we're focused on, and we have a number of very interesting opportunities we're studying right now. How do people find out about um, applying for a grant and what types of criteria you have for making these grants? Well, we have a website, doesn't everybody? <laughs> it's uh, haroldalfonfoundation.org. And on the website, there's fairly detailed descriptions of what sorts of things we are looking for and organizations uh, applying for grants. There's also uh, an online application process, which we require every uh, entity looking for funds to uh, follow in order to receive grants. So, but the 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 key part of our uh, our mission is that we we try to fund things in education and healthcare and youth development, and we are looking for opportunities to bring constituencies together to provide. Uh, services and improvement in healthcare, education, and youth development in an efficient uh, way and, and, and doing it in a way that achieves a level of excellence that people can be proud of. So we want the community or communities to come together to really work hard together to prove something really, really great. In the case of the College Challenge, there is no other state uh, in the country that is doing what we do. Nobody else does this. And we have now been, uh, we're now being studied and followed by all kinds of groups. There are other states in the country and cities that are trying to do the same thing. But we did it first, and we do it well, we hope. And every single day, uh, we try to do it even better. So stay tuned on that. But uh, we've got some you know, major work to do. Now that we're, we're enrolling automatically all kids, okay, we, we're going to be ramping up the efforts to get parents more involved in savings and having the community contribute to savings and also to have our messages to parents accompanying the money be more helpful and enlightening and hopefully uh, leading them to have higher aspirations for their children and, and hopefully keeping them, allowing them to keep their child on track to be a good student and a good citizen. When I was thinking about the Alphon Challenge, I was remembering an individual that we used to call governor, Angus King, who now is in a different role, and how much of a proponent he was of the laptop program and how much flack he got and how crazy he was called and have now my third child in this laptop program, and I'm sure your daughters also had access to this. I can't imagine Maine not having it. But it seems like everybody has to go through this. If you want to do something new and different, everybody has to go through being called crazy before they get to do something which really makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's appropriate that people call into question the wisdom of ventures because otherwise they get built wrong. You need to know what the problems and risks are that you undertake, and you can't be irresponsible in the way you spend money or start an initiative. It just so happens that uh, uh, Senator King's uh, initiative was a wonderful one, and it was ahead of its time, and Maine led the country in terms of getting these powerful tools in the hands of all teenagers. Uh, now we've got to deal with the fact that maybe they have them in their hands too much. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but if I watch my daughters in social settings, they can have four or five uh, peers all around them, and they're all looking at their iPhones instead of engaging in you know personal communications. But uh, 
be, be that as it may, the truth of the matter is that everything is moving in that direction, and uh, Senator King saw it, and uh, it, was, it was a wonderful initiative. Did he take some flack? Sure. But. Well, and I think it also says something about people within people who live in the state of Maine who are willing to to take those risks, who are willing to have some vision, and even though they're called into question, and rightfully so, they're able to kind of keep moving forward with something that they really believe in. And I believe that's what the Alphon Foundation is encouraging people to do as well. Well, yeah, and the other nice thing about Maine is we're not that big. So we can do some things that other people uh, couldn't do. And we can bring partners together in a way that's a little easier to do. Uh, now, counterbalancing that, I suppose, is the Yankee independence that you spoke about earlier. But if you have a smaller population base, it's easier to do some of the things that we do. So we can test them out. We can be uh, the leader and figure out how to do it, and then the rest of the country can follow. So what is the old phrase, as Maine goes, so goes the nation? That was a phrase of was, uh, Senator Smith years and years ago. So anyway, that's, that's who we are. So we have a lot to be proud of. Uh, and so sometimes being small helps. Well, I appreciate your taking the time to sit with me today. I can tell um, that you have a lot of enthusiasm for the work that you do. And it, it feels like it, it, you feel, it feels very gratifying. Um, I, I wonder if, if I was you and I was sitting in an arena that had the Alphon name on it, or if I was meeting a child who had benefited from the Alphon Foundation money, I, I think that would give me a sense of pride, and I would assume that the same is true in your case. Oh, yeah, it's really neat. And I think other, you know, the Alphon family members, myself, members of the staff and the board, you know, we get these notes from parents who have received their $500 at the moment, moment of uh, highest aspiration and hope. And it's uh, a wonderful uh, feeling. And uh, we receive that kind of um, input from folks on other things that are done. The important part, though, is that what we are doing is really enabling the best of people to do more. And Mr. Va uh, Alphonse's view of teamwork and getting people to work together. Uh, sometimes it seems like a rarity in today's society to have people actually all agreeing on something and all working on something together. But it does happen. It happens every day in Maine, and it's a real honor to be part of it. We've been speaking with Greg Powell, who is the chairman of the Harold Alphon Foundation and also the president of Dexter Enterprises. Greg, I know you're a very busy person, and I appreciate your coming in and talking to me today and talking to our listeners. I encourage our listeners to read also the 50 People list, of which you are a part, in the July Maine magazine, and um, keep doing the good work you're doing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 147, Inspiring Maine People. Our guests have included Katie Kelleher, Susan Grisanti, and Greg Powell. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. Also, see our 50 people list in Maine Magazine. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. See my running photos taken every morning along the coast of Maine on my morning runs through Twitter and as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our inspiring Maine People show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine, 
Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Thank you.